Welcome to this week's podcast from Church on the Rock. We hope that it will challenge and inspire you to be a more passionate follower of Jesus. For more information about Church on the Rock, visit us at cotrcalera.com. Before we kind of get into what we're doing today, I want to tell you a story about a priest, um, a Catholic priest, a minister, and a rabbi. Um, and all three of them were kind of competing to see who was the best at their job. <clears throat> so each one of them decided like, hey, um, we're going to go into the woods and we're going to find a bear and we're going to see if we can't convert that, that bear. All right. Which I know this is kind of weird, but <laughs> just play along with me. All right. All right. <clears throat> so each one goes into the woods, finds the bears and attempts to convert the bear. Later, they all get together, and the priest begins, Well, I found the bear, and I read to him from the catechism, and I sprinkled him with holy water, and next week is his first communion. The minister says, Well, I found a bear by the stream, and I preached God's holy word to him. And the bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him there in the waters. They both looked down at the rabbi, who was laying on a gurney in a bloody cast. And the rabbi says, looking back, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision. Ah, that's that's the best I got for you. (laughs) Anyways, all right. That's the best I got, so. Mm. Lord, help us all, right? Lord, help me. Uh, but it, it is good advice, not, anyways, okay, so, um, so, uh, anyway, so the last couple of weeks, again, we've been talking about how, uh, you know, God is good, and the good, talking about the goodness of God, uh, in week one, we talked about how, um, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God, and you have to have hope in order to have faith, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, all right, and in order to have faith, have hope, you have to believe that God is God. The, the belief that God is good is necessary for hope, all right? Because hope is having a positive expectation of your future, all right? And if you have a positive expectation of your future, that you believe that God is good and He is good to you and He's going to be good to you, so you have a positive expectation of your future, which allows you to have faith and to live in faith in the moment. And the reason why the only way we can please God is to have faith, all right? Week two, we talked about how uh, the three great enemies of our hope and faith are fear, doubt, and worry. All three of these things can immobilize your faith. They can eliminate your hope and their negative uses of your imagination. All right, so if you were to write down, and we did this exercise, if you were to write down your top ten fears, doubts, and worries, you would find that somewhere around six or seven of them will, could either never happen to you or have already happened to you, all right? You will find about two or three of them are, are things that, um, you know, um, are, are things that you, uh, you, you, what was it, you have experienced before in your life or, or, that, or that are impossible for you to experience in your life. And then there's only about one or two that you will find is, um, are things that you can control, things that you have control over. So we use an enormous amount of negative energy in our life over things over maybe our top 10 fears, doubts, and worries that, we, that we've either experienced in our life or are impossible to experience or we have no control over those things. 
And, and, and so the important thing is, is to focus on the things that we can control and not allow the fear, doubt, and worry of our life. You know, and Jesus talked about all three of these. There's, there's you know, at least 150 plus scriptures in the Bible that says fear not. Jesus says, do not worry, let, let tomorrow take care of itself. Um, James says, you know, the man who doubts is, is, is like a man who's tossed back and forth and, you know, he should expect not to receive anything from God. So the Bible speaks to all three of those things um, very, very explicitly. And those things, you know, counteract our faith and hope. And then last week we talked about what's the difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And that we see kind of like, um, two two different gods in in a sense that in the Old Testament we see this in in a lot of the atheist people that are out there uh, Richard Dawkins and and some of these guys and we read some of their quotes talked about how in the Old Testament God looks you know jealous and vindictive and judgmental and and uh, you know all of these human qualities that we don't like in mankind God seems to have all of those things in spades and then you look to the New Testament and we see that for God so loved the world and his mercy and grace and all of these kinds of things. And we see this judgmental God of the Old Testament and this loving, compassionate God of the New Testament. And why does there seem to be such a significant difference between the two? And, and talking about this and how if you look carefully and you look closely, there are more passages in the Old Testament that speak to the goodness, the long-suffering, the patience, and the kindness of God. There's more passages in the Old Testament that speak to those things than there are in the New Testament. And if you even go to the New Testament, in the only historical book in the New Testament for the church is, in the, is the book of Acts. And even in the book of Acts, you see the judgment of God. You see the judgment of God on Ananias and Sapphira, and they're lying to the Holy Spirit. And you see the judgment of God upon uh, the, uh, uh, Elamus, the sorcerer. And so um, w- what we have to understand is that God's love and his goodness does not eliminate his justice and his justice does not eliminate his goodness. If anything, it's two sides of the same coin, all right? And God is able to be a 100% good all the time, and he's able to be just all the time as well, all right? And, of course, we go into much more detail, you know, um, last week, but just to kind of give you an overview. And today, I want to I look at uh, something a little bit different, and um, um, I want to talk to you because we're kind of moving into our Thanksgiving holidays and, and how the goodness of God um, in our life should, uh, should tie well into this idea of thanksgiving and gratitude. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Ray, Ray Stedman who, who tells of an experience that he had with H.A. Ironside. H.A. Ironside was a, a pastor, a theologian back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And, and Stedman was a pastor that was kind of, you know, being trained or had been mentored by uh, Ironside. And they were sitting together in a crowded restaurant. And just as Ironside uh, was about to begin his meal, a man approached him and asked if he could join him. And Ironside invited him to have a seat. And then, you know, as was his custom, you know, H.A. Uh, Ironside began to pray. And, um, and, and when he opened his eyes, the other man asked, do you have a headache? Uh, Ironside replied, no, I don't. The other man asked, well, is there something wrong with your food? Ironside replied, no, I was simply thanking God as I always do before I eat. And the man said, oh, you're one of those, are you? Well, I want you to know I never give thanks. 
I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. And Ironside said, yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does too. Right? Um, And it is true, this idea that this, this, this concept of, of the fact that God is good. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been really, I've been really pointing out this, this idea. Like, like, I know that, you know, if you've grown up in church, you would have this mindset or this already understanding that, yes, God is good. You know, he's good all the time. But sometimes the difference between us knowing that God is good in our head and actually believing that God is good in our heart can be all the difference in the world. You know, I remember hearing a story how there are so many people out there that are going to miss hell by six inches. And six inches is the, di- or 12 inches or something, it's the, di- it's the distance between your brain and your heart. Like you can know that God is, is God and that Jesus is real, all that kind of stuff up in your head, but it not ever become reality inside of your heart. All right, and we can know that God is good inside of our mind. Like, yes, I know it because I've heard it and the Bible says it, I get it. But in reality, in the way that we live, in the way that we experience life, and the things that we see, and the way we interpret our circumstances, sometimes we don't really interpret in a way that really shows us that we believe in our heart that God is good. All right? And so we're gonna, I want to look at when, when we settle it inside of our spirit, when we settle it inside of our heart, that no matter what I face in my life, no matter the circumstances that, are, that I have to deal with, no matter the hand that has been dealt me, I still am going to believe that God is good. It changes things inside of us, and it should, it should put a sense of gratitude in us that we become thankful, no matter what we're dealing with in our life, that we become thankful for how good God is, all right? And so I want to read a story in Matthew chapter 8. It says, And Jesus came down the mountain with the cheers of the crowd still ringing in his ears. And then a leper appeared to him and went to his knees before Jesus, praying, Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. And Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, I want to be clean. Then and there, all signs of leprosy were gone. And I want you to understand something. You remember... Jesus is the express image of God. Who we see Jesus is who we see God is. This, this, um, this particular story also addresses, does God want to heal, right? Because the man says, he goes and falls on his knees before Jesus and says, if you want to, you can heal my body. Like, we already know you have the power to do it. We just don't know if you want to. That's really what he's talking about here. I know you have the power to do it. I just don't know if you want to. And what does Jesus say? I want to. This is God saying, I want to heal. Be clean. Then and there, all signs of leprosy were gone. And Jesus said, do not talk about this all over town. Go quietly present your healed body to the priest. Along with the appropriate expressions of thanks to God, your cleansed and grateful life, not your words, will bear witness to what I have done. Okay. So Jesus here says, listen, you're cleansed. And your grateful life will bear witness to what I have done. So this man was a leper. He had this disease called leprosy. If you know anything about leprosy, leprosy basically, uh, it attacks the nervous system of the body. So you begin to lose the ability to feel pain. So feeling pain is important in our life, even though we don't like pain. Feeling pain is important because if you didn't, 
uh, know that you felt pain, then you could have all kinds of problems. For example, like if you lost the ability to feel pain in your foot and you were walking outside and stepped on a nail, you wouldn't know you stepped on a nail. Okay, so then you would just begin to live your life with a nail lodged in your foot. All right, and then obviously we know that that could create an enormous amount of problems later on in your life if that goes untreated, if it's left there, all those kinds of things. So what happens is, is leprosy, it destroys the central nervous system of the body. You begin to, um, you, you don't, don't feel pain anymore in areas that you should feel pain. And then parts of your body go untreated because of the fact that you don't feel pain. And then that's what, you know, ends up creating greater you know, problems like gangrene and stuff like that. All right. And so this man was a leper and he was, had this disease. All right. And, and Jesus reached out and he said, hey, you know what? I want to make you whole. Now, uh, I don't think that anybody in here has had to deal with the disease leprosy. Um, at least I hope you haven't. I mean, it still exists today, but it's, it's kind of rare. Um, but there is something that I want to correl- I want, I, There is a correlation that I want to make here. And it's this. Well, we don't have to deal with the, the physical disease of leprosy. Um, we do have to deal with maybe a spiritual form of leprosy. And that's what sin does. You see, the Bible says that sin, what, what leprosy does to the body, sin does to the spirit. All right? What, for the wages of sin is death. All, all, okay? The Bible says all of sin have fallen short. For the wages of sin is death. So sin produces death inside of our life. All right? Just like leprosy produces death to the body, Sin produces left to our, a death to our spirit. That's how we begin to die in our spirit, man. All right? And so we have a spiritual form of leprosy. And what's happened is, is that Jesus came along, okay? And he has permanently healed us of this spiritual disease that we're dealing with. So this leprosy, this sin that brings death to our life, Jesus came and he has created an opportunity for us to find a way out of our sin, to pay a price for our sin. The wages of sin is death. So because of our sin, it should produce death in our life. But Jesus came and died in our place so that we can now have life again. Right? And because of what Jesus did... We have been healed of that disease called sin. We've been healed of the result and the power of sin, of the curse of sin, all of these kinds of things. And this is what God did for us, even though we didn't deserve it. Okay? Even though we didn't deserve there was nothing that that man deserved. He, he didn't do anything to deserve to be healed by Jesus, but he, Jesus healed him. And there's nothing that we did to deserve to be healed of our sin, but God did it anyways, right? So God did it, and he says to us the same words that he says to this man right here, you're cleansed, and your grateful life will bear witness to what I have done. So not only is it that God has cleansed you, and it bears witness to what God has done for you. It's also that you live a life of gratefulness to God for what he has done for you. That we become grateful. Why? Because God was good. So the word grateful, uh, just in case to give you a, a refreshing, it is a feeling or a showing of appreciation of kindness. Okay? Showing an appreciation of kindness. All right? So this idea that we show appreciation to God because he's been kind to us. That because he has been good to you. 
This is what it means to be grateful. That we solidify this concept, this idea inside of our spirit that God is good and he is good all the time. All right. And that because we believe and know that God is good all the time, it creates a sense of gratefulness inside of our life that now we are overwhelmed with gratitude towards God, okay? And, and we can live our life of gratefulness to God, okay? It gives us a sense of indebtedness to God that we owe Him a part of our life because He gave us something that we don't deserve. It changes the way that we live. Did you know that just by changing the fact, and, and understand this, like we live in a culture right now that teaches us everything but gratefulness. Now, I know we have a day called Thanksgiving that we're all coming up to. We're all going to be like, oh, we're so thankful. All right? and, and all this kind of stuff. But the very same day that we're so thankful, we also want to go out on Black Friday and spend everything we have because we need more and more and more stuff. Now, I'll do that too, right? To a degree. Not spend everything I got. Hopefully not. Um, but it's this idea that there's constant, we need more and we're never satisfied with what we have. You see, you know, having this sense of gratefulness inside of us can put us in a position where we can become content. And Paul said that the secret to life was being content in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, that I'm just going to be content with where I am, that God has placed me where I am today and I can be content with where I am right now in my life. And, and, and I, I, don't think, I don't think it's impossible for you to be content without also gratefulness to abiding inside of your life, being grateful for um, what God has done. So, because God is good and we are grateful, does it mean that everything will go our way? Well, no. I mean, if you've been long living longer than, you know, five minutes, you'll know that. Does it mean that we won't have problems? No. Does it mean that we'll never be tempted to be overwhelmed by our problems? No, we'll, st- we'll still be tempted. Um, we'll still have issues. We'll still, I mean, you know, even, you know, even Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. I mean, right. It's one of, like, I don't know if you call that a promise, but it's kind of like a promise. He says, you will have trouble in this life. Um, it's just kind of one of the things that comes along with life. And, I, you know, that can go back to the sin, uh, to original sin and, and the garden, you know, whatever you want to attribute it to. We've talked about those kinds of things. I, you know, th- there's just going to be trouble and there's going to be difficult and there's going to be striving and there's going to be problems and we're all going to face them at different levels. Some of us, and or we're all going to go through different seasons of it, right? I mean, you know, in, in some seasons of my life, there's been great difficulty and some seasons of, of my life, there's been great, great blessing. I, I can't, I can't be grateful for God for all the blessings in my life and somehow turn my back on him and all the the struggle and difficulty of life, like, like I, like I, you know what I'm saying? I, th- I think that, that we have to understand that, that even though we may face trial, even though we may face problems, and some of these things, some of these trials and problems in our life are good for us, right? Uh, some of the, and, and some of these trials and problems that we deal with in our life are, are things that God can take and make good for us, 
but you know, even, even James says, you know, to persevere under trial because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must have its way so you can be perfect, not lacking anything. I mean, if everything in our life just went good all the time, we would just be a bunch of spoiled Christian brats, really. Uh, that's all we would be. Um, so we, we know this. I think we know this. I think a certain level of maturity knows that not everything in our life is, is going is to go great. It's going to go good. God is not some kind of, you know, he's not a, a heavenly Santa Claus that we can go sit on his lap and just tell him what we want. He's like, oh, okay. You know, and he's not a, a, a vending machine and, you know, where if we push the right numbers at the right time, that drop, you know, here. God doesn't work that way. And we, we know he doesn't work that way. Um, and so, um, but it, it still doesn't change the fact that we don't like difficulty. We don't like problems. We don't like you know, trials and testing and all those kinds of things, they're all, they're going to come our way. We're going to deal with them. You may be in seasons of your life right now where you're dealing with some of that. Um, it doesn't change the fact that God is good. It doesn't. And because he's good, it shouldn't change the fact that you can still be grateful, right? I was reading a story about a guy who came to a rabbi and he came to him complaining. He said, Rabbi, he said, I live in I live in a one bedroom house with nine guys and it's just unbearable. <clears throat> I just can't take it anymore. Tell me what to do. <clears throat> the rabbi says, uh, get the goat that you own and bring it in the house. And the rabbi's like, What? That's the you're not listening to me. I need to know what to do about the fact that I live with nine guys. In a one-room building, and it is miserable. Rabbi says, get the goat that you own and bring it into the house. A week later, oh, he goes home, gets the goat, brings it into the house. A week later, the, the guy comes back to the rabbi. He's like, hey, I don't know what to do. This goat is crazy. He's pooping and peeing all got fleas. This is, this is a mess. Why would you tell me to do something like this? You've got to help me out. What should I do now? The rabbi says, okay, get the goat, take it out of the house. Guy's like, what in the world? So he goes home and he takes the goat out of the house. And he comes back a week later. He says, man, this is the best thing ever. It's just us nine guys in this one room. And there's no more pooping and peeing and fleas all over the place. It's, we're just enjoying life, right? So, so what happened there, right? It was just a little change of perspective in the guy. Like it could be worse, Right? It could be worse. I know living with nine guys in one room house could be worse, but go ahead and bring a goat in, all right, and just see how bad it can. So there's always going to be situations and circumstances in our life that we're not going to like and that aren't going to be great, but we can still recognize the fact that, listen, that God is good and we can still be grateful. Even though not everything is lining up perfect the way that we want to, we can still live with an attitude of gratefulness for what God has done. Because at the end of the day, if he does nothing more than died on a cross for my sins, it was enough. And so in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice 
sometimes. Give thanks in some of your circumstances. Rejoice always. And, And listen, it doesn't say give thanks for your circumstances. There's a big difference. Like, God, I just thank you for the suffering. I just love suffering so much. Thank you for my misery. Paul doesn't say to thank God for your suffering. He says to thank God in your suffering. And in all your circumstances, give thanks. In all of them, give thanks. And no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in our life, we can still give thanks, right? We can still give thanks because God is good and he loves me and he gave his son for me even when I didn't deserve it, even when I turned my back on him, even when I shaked my fist at him. He still cared about me. He still loved me. He still sought me. He still pursued me. Because I'm important to him because he's good. Rob, if you'll go ahead and start. I want to read a a passage to you out of the book of Psalms, David, and and understand that this is, um, there's this general thing you see in in the Psalms, um, even basically almost entire Psalms written upon this principle. <clears throat> There's this one line that says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. <clears throat> All right, Th- this phrase, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Um, there's I, actually, you know, if you kind of grew up in church, you know, back in the uh, 80s and 90s, there's like some, you know, old school worship songs to, <clears throat> right? Um, to some of that, just just that whole passage right there. Um, I, I remember there's one that we used to, anybody remember Enemies Camp? Enemies Camp, right? When I think about his goodness, right? Is that right? Is that, that's, not even the, that's not the right song, is it? No, never mind. When I think about his goodness is the name of that song. <laughs> uh, and, but it was, it was kind of one of those like uh, dancing songs, you know, that you jump up and down like a pogo stick. When I think about his goodness and what he's done for me, when I think about his goodness and how he set me free, it makes me want to dance, 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 dance all night. And then you just jump around like, oh, yeah, all night. That's what we used to do back when I was young. Um, But listen, in Psalm chapter 100, verse 1, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. In his faithfulness to all generations. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. Come on. The Lord is good. Come on, do you believe it today? The Lord is good. The Lord is good. 
He is good to you. He is good to you. David writes, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I think that this, this passage seems to be giving us this, um, this idea of how we should approach the presence of God. If you, if you, if you ever did like a, a, a look or a study of kind of, a, or looked at a diagram of the temple, and I think this is the correlation that David's trying to make when he's, when he's, when he's saying this, like, enter his gate, like, what gates? Enter, I mean, what? I don't understand. Like, we don't have gates anymore. We don't have courts. Um, if you look at a diagram of the temple, you will see that what you have uh, surrounding the temple, God's temple on the outside, there are many gates. There are many different gates. You have main gates and side gates and water gates and all, it's all these kinds of things that are there. And, um, and so David says, David says that we enter into... We enter into, we, listen, that we begin the process of entering into God's presence with thanksgiving. Okay? That it all begins, listen, it all begins with thanksgiving. If you want to, if you want to enter into God's presence, if you want to, if you want to come in and step into the Holy of Holies and enter into the presence of God, then it begins with thanksgiving. We enter the gates. The gates are how we get into the temple. You can't get into the temple unless you walk through the gate. And David says that we enter the gate with thanksgiving in our hearts. What are we thankful for? That God has been good. That he has been kind. That his mercies are new every morning. That he is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in grace and mercy. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in his court. So the gates... Or the, or the little areas, the doors that we would walk into the temple. And when you walked into the temple, you were to the courts. And you would enter into the court. And he says, enter his courts with praise. Why does he deserve our praise? Because he is good. And we are grateful for the fact that he is good. And so then, once you're in the outer court, you walk into the inner court. And when you're in the inner court, you begin to make sacrifices there. What is that? That's worship. I begin to worship. I begin to worship God. And then once we begin to worship, listen, we can step into the Holy of Holies. Because God tore the veil and there's no temple anymore. But now we know the same process exists today. That we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. In his courts with praise. And then God begins to abide and live in the praises of his people. You want to enter in to his presence. You want to know the presence of God. How can you walk into the presence of God if you can't even walk through the gate of thanksgiving? How can we truly get to the place where, where we are where God wants us to be? And we can stand in the holies of holies and lift our hands and worship him. I'm not talking about singing songs. Everybody, anybody could sing a song. I'm talking about real worship. Real worship where you know that the king has entered into the building. You can't get to that place unless thanksgiving exists in your heart first. That you become thankful for who God is and what he's done. 
every time I, you know, go to enter into the presence and I, I got a bad attitude, I'm dealing with problems in my life, difficulty, whatever, it, 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 it changes really quick. Like, it, it's not possible for me to enter in, to get into God's presence for very long and that not be changed inside of me. It just changes. It has to change. In order for us to live and abide in his presence, okay, it, it will change the way we feel on the inside that we become extremely grateful for who God is. But no matter what I'm dealing with right now in my life, I recognize the fact that just at the end of the day, he's just so good. And he's been so good to me and he's been so good to me in my life. And it doesn't mean that everything's gone the way that I wanted it to go. I mean, goodness, I, I could I could tell in the stories. But as I reflect upon my life and I reflect upon my relationship with him, I recognize that, that there's no other word that I would rather define him as but being a good father to me. He's a good father. He's a good father. You stand to your feet today.